Hello and welcome to Writing Children's Fiction. My name's Andy, I teach creative writing and I write children's fiction under the pseudonym A.P. Winter. Each week I address a different topic around writing fiction and hopefully share a few useful points to think about along the way. This is the second in a two-part look at something which can really help to develop the early stages of your story, the catalyst. Last time, we defined the idea of the catalyst and explored a little of why it might be useful as a way of thinking about your fiction, so I would definitely recommend listening to that first. This week, I wanted to take things a bit further and use something that is commonly talked about alongside catalysts, the refusal of the call or the refusal of the adventure, as a way of looking at how we approach ideas around structure. Before we get too deep into things, it's worth pointing out that this idea of a main character making choices is something that can seem tricky to balance in children's fiction. We're usually dealing with child protagonists, and with the idea of childhood there's this inherent lack of freedom, a sense that you're often not in control of the big things that make up your life. We want stories that promise the idea of change and of characters making important choices, but it can seem difficult to include this while having a kid as the main character. Where this becomes especially apparent is the idea of the initial choice that sets things in motion, the moment the main character takes a step out of the world they knew and into something entirely different. A lot of structure, like the Joseph Campbell book The Power of Myth, and our old favourite Blake Snyder's Save the Cat, We'll talk about the rejection of the call to adventure as part of this sequence between catalyst and choice. Basically a moment where the hero says, no, I can't take this first big step. Even though this catalyst has occurred, I, I can't make this initiating choice. The clearest example that comes to mind is the moment in The Hobbit, where Bilbo says, effectively, no thanks, to an invitation to go on a quest involving a big dragon. Saying no shows us who he has been up until this point, so we have a clear sense of what needs to change about him. And then the scene where he changes his mind as something new, it takes us out of this stage of who he has been by saying, actually I will come along, and shows us he has the potential to change. It's very easy to see as a reader that something special has happened, and it makes us anticipate what will come. This is commonly called the refusal of the call. Now I think this is an interesting early sequence in a story, and it does crop up again and again, so that in itself probably suggests there's something to it. But I'm always hesitant when we talk about structure to suggest using a specific formulation as if it's a rule that we follow as writers. I think this is a good opportunity to do something that's really useful and general for our writing, to try to explore exactly why this might be an appealing structure, and also look at how we could structure things differently and achieve the same effects, because, in my opinion, whenever we're looking at frameworks, it's more important to think about why this framework is enduring or appealing, and play with those ideas in our stories, rather than simply memorising the framework and saying, well, I do stories this way because that's what people like, and then apply it without question. I know for a fact, unfortunately from experience, 
that you can know that you should have a stasis stage and a catalyst and a rejection of the call to adventure and then a choice to proceed, and you can write a perfectly serviceable sequence of these scenes and still have a really boring story. But if you understand why those elements form an interesting sequence for the reader and apply that to the wider picture of what your writing should be doing as a whole, you're probably in a good position to write something interesting. Now for some foundational ideas. In past episodes, we've looked at some complex devices around choices, conflict and intrigue. And we've also looked at the idea of sequences of scenes enacting change in the story in a way that encourages the reader to anticipate things. For a more in-depth look at this, I would definitely recommend listening to Effective Scenes, Part 1 and 2, and Episodes 2, 4 and 5 to get to grips with ideas around intrigue, choices and conflict, respectively. As a super simple summary of these ideas, we're always looking for ways to encourage the reader to construct meanings for themselves, to ask questions about things, infer important connotations, wonder about what is going to happen, anticipate what characters might say or do, and then present them with interesting revelations based on these expectations, rather than telling them what is important at each step, or throwing things in that they have no expectations for. I refer to these combined ideas of choice, intrigue, conflict, and anticipation enough that I think we should have a name for it by now, so from now on I'm going to call it fundamental intrigue. How we go about constructing this fundamental intrigue is woven into the fabric of our writing rather than being a formula we can follow, so it can be quite tricky to summarise, but we can explore its effects taking place through examples. Let's have a look at a brilliant example of fundamental intrigue taking place in a refusal of the call sequence from the first Star Wars movie, A New Hope. Um, Just please don't tell Disney. We've got our stasis stage, so a farm boy is living in the middle of nowhere. He finds the idea of adventures intriguing, but for now he's stuck doing chores for his aunt and uncle, and they definitely don't want him going further afield. There's good low-level conflict in this, and a sense of potential in something that we want to change as well. We've got our catalyst, so they buy some droids, and the farm boy discovers one of the droids has a secret message inside them, a message from a princess asking for help. There's already a certain amount of intrigue and expectation around this because the audience have actually seen the setup for this, the prologue, if you like, in the droid's thrilling escape from danger. Crucially, the message cuts off before we hear the whole thing, so there's some more good intrigue and expectations being established. The message seems to relate to the name the boy has heard, a strange old wizard that lives out in the dunes. He makes a little choice, not quite the choice that will evaporate the stasis stage of his life, but an important choice nonetheless, to go and visit the wizard. After some scrapes, the boy finds the wizard, and the wizard unlocks the full message from the droid and tells the boy that his father was a powerful wizard too, and that he should join him in rescuing this princess. This in itself is a nice added surprise, something we talked about in sequences before, so giving the reader what they want, but not quite how they expect it. So now the call to adventure has been made explicit. The big choice is here. We think we understand the main aspects of it, and we have lots of expectations. 
So perhaps this is a good time for him to say, yes, please, I will go on this adventure. But no, our hero says, I'm sorry, I can't. He makes it clear what's holding him back, his obligations to his family, his place in the world, all the things that make up the stasis stage of our story. On the journey back to his house, they come across a vehicle that has been destroyed by soldiers looking for these droids. It underlines how brutal the soldiers are and shows the threat to the boy directly for the first time. To oppose this power clearly means death. But he also makes another connection. If they followed the droids here, they could have followed them home. So we've got this sense of threat, expectations, and we've definitely got the raising stakes of conflict taking place here. He forges ahead, going against the wizard's warnings, another small choice being made there, and goes home to find his aunt and uncle have already been killed, and a new choice has to be made. There's nothing left for him here, all those things he said were holding him back are gone. He can't return now to his stasis stage. But also we've seen, very visually and intuitively, what the threat is. So we understand quite clearly how dangerous this will be for him, and how impossible it seems for him to succeed. The big choice has got bigger. Now he's ready to pick a path. I'll come with you and rescue the princess. Okay, so why go through all these stages to get us from who he was and how he was living to this new state of adventure? Well, fairly obviously, a whole series of interesting scenes, all of which involve good why questions and anticipation for the viewer, have to occur in this version. Whereas in the version where the droids turn up and ask for his help, and he says, yes, we skip all of that. He doesn't just get a message and decide to help, he has to find the mysterious person who the message is for, hear a revelation about his past, escape dangers, anticipate a threat to what he holds important, and finally gets to the point where he has to make the big choice. But the rejection is doing something else too. It shows us what is important about the choice being made for our character. The inner conflict of who they are and who they are willing to be, without needing to have the character pace back and forth explaining their thoughts. As a side note, he does do this a bit, but my point is this vocalised soul-searching isn't what gets us to the point of choice. Instead, we're given all the elements to construct ourselves. It's shown to us dramatically. He has obligations, this threat is very dangerous, he's never been away from home, but on the other hand, someone has to do something. This person needs rescuing, someone needs to stand up to this overbearing power, someone needs to get revenge, and he may have the powers to do it. So, good use of refusing the call so far, right? But I wouldn't end your analysis there. Where I'd encourage you to explore this further, and where reading or viewing as a writer comes in, is to think about whether having him reject the call to adventure, see some bad stuff, lose everything, then reconsider, is the only sequence of scenes that can show us these elements taking place. Are there, in fact, other interesting ways of showing he has obligations, that there is a real threat, and that making this choice will take us from one state of affairs to something entirely new? I would argue that there are, and that it's worth considering before assuming the established structure is best. For example, we could look at the classic movie Bicycle Thieves. In the opening, we see our main character, 
accepting a job which he can only do if he has a bicycle. The problem is, he doesn't have one. He hasn't rejected anything, but he complains to his wife, who we then see selling some of their possessions in order to buy a bicycle and hopefully secure their financial future. No prizes for guessing what's going to happen to the bicycle, by the way. A couple of points here. There almost seems to be two catalysts, so getting a job and then making a big choice to sacrifice what little they have in order to take it. And then this other seeming catalyst when the bicycle is subsequently stolen. Neither of these involves a moment where the main character rejects the call to adventure, if we want to call it an adventure. But what we do see in this first sequence is a series of scenes that show us what the stakes are, why it's a difficult decision to make, what the consequences will be if it goes wrong, why we should be invested in this character and what has been holding them back, all the same stuff that the rejection might offer in our Star Wars example, and it gives us a sequence of interesting scenes which would be lost if someone said, do you want a job, you need a bike, and our main character just said, yes please, and I have a bike. I would argue that this is just as effective, if not more effective, than the classic rejection of the core. Its focus is still on showing that opportunities also bring problems and difficult choices, so basically continuing the promise to the reader or the viewer that an interesting series of events is taking place. But it's just not having a moment when the protagonist says explicitly no. My main point with this is to show that what we really want when we're thinking about how to structure scenes is how best to make them interesting. And while you can get to that by following these more mythic structures from old tales, it isn't the only way. In fact, the idea that somehow setting up an interesting event, an expectation around that event, a thing we want to happen which is momentarily withheld, and then a surprising escalation and a new choice being made, is all somehow unique to the opening of the story is potentially misleading too. I think all the refusal is really showing is the point of the story where this kind of sequence is clearest and easiest to explain, because it takes us out of that stasis stage, which is clearly doing something different, and has to introduce something entirely new. But really, as a story develops, it should keep setting up these expectations and choices and surprising results and consequences and new choices with clear stakes and escalating conflict. The only difference is these later sequences will ripple out, usually from this initial choice, rather than being the commencement of them. Not entirely new, perhaps, not entirely obvious, but actually doing many of the same things that the catalyst rejection choice formula does. If we only understand the rejection of the call as some kind of formula, a thing you can use to get people's attention and then forget about for the rest of the story, rather than as an echo or example of something integral that persists throughout the entire story, there's a big risk that we'll miss something important. In fact, maybe the most important lesson about structure. Encouraging the reader to anticipate things, making them connect meanings and infer things, viewing scenes through this lens of choices, and making all the choices interesting. I like structure, and I think structures are interesting to talk about, but if you understand why they're used, and I don't mean in abstract psychological or neuroscience terms, which I don't really have any place talking about, but looking practically at why this is more interesting and more lively in story terms, 
you're in a much better position to write. I know that can all seem a bit daunting, but it's liberating too. The only rule is to find ways of, of being interesting. Everything else is just approaches and suggestions for how we might go about that based on the results of other works, but ultimately it's your story and you get to decide how to tell it. I think we'll end things there. Thanks as always for joining me. If you're looking for more ideas about possible approaches or interesting devices, I hope you can find something useful in all the material from past podcasts. I've covered these ideas about conflict, choices, intrigue, and scene sequences in detail. And also, I am hoping to release a book soon on writing children's fiction, so I'll definitely keep you posted on that too. Anyway, thank you to everyone that has been spreading the word about the podcast. I want to reach as many people as possible, so I really appreciate it. If you'd like to support the podcast, and it really does help to get your support, um, you know, this is still just a pet project that I'm always struggling to find time for, um, please click on the Buy Me A Coffee link in the description where you can quickly and easily send the price of a coffee. I'll be talking about a new topic on children's fiction soon. I hope you'll join me then.